If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Today I'm going to introduce you to Sue Leslie. Sue's been riding and eventing at three stars for about 25 years, and now she's competing dressage. Sue's also a high-level coach competing, specialising in eventing. And Sue has a saying about every day her goal is to coach and improve the life of at least one horse. Hi, Sue. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Glennis. How are you? Good. Sue, can you speak a little bit about what you said to me earlier about every day my goal as a coach is to improve the life of at least one horse? Well, obviously I'm a level three coach and my main occupation is coaching. But at the end of the day, I'm actually interested in animal welfare. And one of the reasons that I coach and one of the things I get out of coaching is that every day, or not every day, but a lot of the time I see techniques and training things that I really think have, you know, bordering on welfare issues. So the idea of what I like to get out of my coaching is to try and talk a lot about training aspects and animal behaviour, particularly in this case horse behaviour. So hopefully people get an understanding of what they're actually trying to achieve rather than the, the goal of let's have a lesson so I can win a blue ribbon. I'm more interested in them having a goal of I can train this horse in a way that makes it easier on the horse to understand and hopefully not look at a quick fix. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. So working on the foundations before you go and go to a higher level or keeping those foundations, but still keeping the foundations in place that you're always thinking of horse welfare. Right, right through, and mm, you mm. do see it just as much at the higher level as the lower level because yep. at the lower level, a lot of the welfare issues are ignorance. You know, people are not meaning to be causing cruelty or suffering to their horse. At the higher level, often it's people just pushing for the wrong goals. So mm. it, it's right through all levels, I believe. All right. So I want you to go back about starting with horses. Now, I think your first horse was called Buck. You called him Bucky, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Yes. If you can talk about your so first... Buck, yeah. Buck was a little black Shetland that had gone around the neighbourhoods. My mother was sick of me trying to get through into neighbours' properties and be in the paddock with horses and trying to mount neighbours' horses. And everything. So she got me Buck. Now, obviously, there was a reason that he was called Buck. And he was 29 years old when I got him. And if you put your hand behind the saddle or sat behind the saddle, he would buck you off. So I decided that I was going to train Buck not to buck. And I used to get up in the morning on a Saturday morning and sit on his rump and get bucked off about hundreds of times during the day. And by the afternoon, he would not buck anymore. And I'd think, right, I've trained Bucky. And then the next Saturday, we'd do the same thing. But I always had a lot of good times with him. But yeah, I never completely trained him not to, but I did many times end up riding him at the end of the day on his rump. Mm-hmm. So 
that was my little starting line. <laughs> All right. It's nice to think that, you know, people have risen to a high level as, as you have that have actually started off on their Shetland pony. It sort of gives a bit of inspiration, I think, to people who think that they're not there yet and they've got reasons for not being there. But I think everyone comes from different backgrounds. I think the main thing is if you choose to ride, compete or do something at a higher level, first of all, you make the choice to do it. That's right. Yeah. What about your choice to make a career with horses? What? When was that? When did that happen? Oh, well, I, I actually ridden all my life yeah. and, you know, was competing, went through pony cups. My first coaching started off because I the pony club offered me that if I coached all afternoon, I could have my fees for nothing. And we were never a family with a lot of money and I used to sell actually breed water smells to pay for my horses and clean up paddocks to sell poo mm-hmm. and stuff. So it was a good inspiration to me to be able to do that. So that's when I started coaching and then I was able then people sort of asked for lessons. And then my actual career was a laboratory technician and I worked at La Trobe Uni for 11 years. But then when I had my children, my first child, I thought, well, I can work at home mm. and coach. So always through I'd been coaching weekends and you know, all my like right through as a lab tech. But then when I had my first son, Scott, I shifted over to become full-time coach because I could sort of take him and sit him in the pusher and coach. And yeah, so that's how I shifted over to become a full-time coach. All right. And, and you train a lot of coaches as well. So if you've got, you know, someone who's thinking about becoming a coach and you're talking to them and you're talking to their parents and they might still be at school thinking, okay, what do I have to do? I'm thinking about a career with horses, career as a coach, career as an instructor. What do you think are the core skills for them to just commence in that career? Look, I do believe that a good coach does have to come from riding as well. And Mm -hmm. I know that that's not always everyone's view. And I do also believe there's many, many, many good coaches out there who didn't ride to a high level or have not ridden at all. But I think that it's if for one to become a coach that's going to be profitably able to keep going and I think you need to be progressing as you're riding too. So you don't have to ride necessarily to a higher level but you have to, I think you should be riding at the level that you're coaching at. So I do say to people, you know, upskill your riding as well, constantly upskill your riding and then you can start training to be a coach as well. But I, I do worry when some people come in and just want to become a coach and they've really got quite a a low level of horsemanship and a low level of, of riding. I mm-hmm. think they should be working on the two things together. Mm-hmm. It, that, that's just my opinion. And as I said, in saying that, there's some very, very good coaches out there who haven't done that. But I'd be saying to young kids, be up in your riding as well, as much yep. as you can. Just yep. keep learning. Keep, keep on learning. I think of even what I knew 10 years ago to what I know now mm. is just astronomically different. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and I think you as a coach, Stu Glennis would probably think that too. You know, we, mm, we definitely. I do worry about people who last rode or had a lesson ten years ago in their coaching. I think you need to keep on progressing, keep on upskilling, keep learning. Mm, mm. And then, if someone's going to excel in the career, you know, to rise to high levels, is that is that a key? You know, like you're talking first of all to someone who's just thinking about going into it as a career, but then you kept talking about yeah. riding and, and upskilling and continuing to learn. So really, if someone wants to, is that what you're saying? That if someone wants to excel at their career, they've got to continue to learn. 
Absolutely, mm, absolutely. Like mm, mm. I, you know, I do say to people when they get their coaching certificates, it's to me, it's just like getting a car license. That's the day you got a certificate to say that you can now start learning. And I do, you know, and that I do, I do quote that quite often too. Yep. You've just basically got your car license, and you've just driven down the road for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, so now you're going to learn. You've you've passed the minimum, and now you're going to learn to coach at that level. Yep. So I, it's it's a constant, ongoing thing, and also learning about personalities too. Yes, you would have had quite yeah. a few people influence you. Is there anyone that comes to mind now that you think has had a, a lot of influence? Lots of people, but the one that always comes to mind, and I wrote that in the um, in the interview thing, was Tad Coffin from America. He was gold medalist when he was twenty one, mm-hmm. got taken out of school, produced to be the gold medalist that he was, but it was after that that he said that he actually learned how to ride. He, I spent 10 years with him. Well, not spent, but he used to come out and I did every clinic yep. I could. And what I learned from him, I still now have lessons with people and I go, oh, is that what Tad was trying to tell me? <laughs> so many years ago, he was so advanced and so ahead of his time and so dedicated to the training and the work to put in and absolutely no no leeway on just straight down the correct path and and he influenced me greatly and as I said he still influences me even mm-hmm. though I haven't seen him for over uh, 10 years. Yeah you've still got those that memory coming back though of of his teaching. Yeah yeah yeah. 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 Now horses we talked about Bucky who else you know another horse that's influenced you and helped you with your career? Oh I've had some wonderful wonderful horses over my time but Bucky was my first pony, obviously, and then I, you know, went through and had some great horses through Pony Club. My first three-star horse was a horse called Christy, who I got when I was still in Pony Club. And I, I don't think any rider who's ridden at the highest level hasn't had a super horse to get them going. Every junior or everyone progressing needs that super horse to get them started, and he he just made me think that I was infallible. So he was my first horse. I had quite a few other three-star horses through that. Another horse called Nikita, who was not actually super talented, but just had the best brain on her. Mm-hmm. She did three-star, but she just tried and tried and tried. So she's... And then, of course, I had Peter the Red, who was probably the most talented, but difficult horse I've ever sat on. Mm-hmm. And he went through to three-star as well. But he was, yeah, as I said, the most the most talented horse I've ever laid a leg across. But with no comparison, the most difficult horse as well. Mm. And then now I've gone into dressage and my first proper dressage horse, a horse called Kenderly Wellham or Gordon, we call him at home, and he's again not the superstar but got the brain and he's now training all the Grand Prix movements. I haven't had a start there yet but he's training them and I've got two younger ones up underneath him who I hope are going to be very good. So mm. uh, just bred one who's rising four who looks to be a very nice horse, but he's got a long way to go. So, <laughs> yeah, I could talk about lots and lots and lots of horses, but I've had some some really, really nice horses on the way through, that's for sure. What do you think's the proudest moment you've had? For many different reasons. I can't, you know, I, I won Gawler Thread event on Cindy or Nikita, but that, mm-hmm. again, that was a proud moment, but it was sort of, it's not necessarily been the wins. I can't sort of say, I've also had some very proud moments with students. Yep. Even some uh, little kids that I've taught from rising trot on the lead range through, and then I see them ride three star. Mm, mm. 
it's very hard. I I can't have a defining moment, but put it this way, enough that I'm still here. Yes, so yep, yep. I think you have to have the moments that keep you going. Just as you're about to fall down, you have some great riding moments, and then as you're about to fall down as a coach, you know, we all have plateaus, where, and then all of a sudden the students boost ahead. So combination of riding achievements and combination of coaching achievements, and I really would struggle to put one right out on top. Obviously, when you win something, it's a proud moment, but that's short-lived, I think. So, yeah, that's probably not a very good answer, is it? But well, I'm just thinking about what you said earlier. You know, every day my goal as a coach is to improve the life of at least one horse. And even when you're talking yeah. about the kids that you've started off to teach them rising trot and then they've gone on to compete and do well, if you're teaching them using the, your philosophy, then really you're achieving your goal, aren't you? Well, and that's, that's going right. to make you they proud. Going, yeah. And, yeah. and they're not going to keep going if they're not doing the right thing by their horses, mm. are they? Mm. So, um, mm. yeah. So, lots, yeah. lots of bad moments on the way, lots of disappointments as well, but that's part of the horse game <laughs> as well, isn't it? Yeah. All right. I'm going to go back to, to Tad Coffin because you said there, was, there were things that he taught you that you may not realise how in-depth it was, how important it was until years later. Can you tell me, some train, you know. I want to talk now a little bit about training tips, about skills that people can use and take on to improve their own riding. What sort of tips or what sort of things is he teaching? Yeah, Tad was a master of correctness. Basically, he did like an hour of exercises himself in the morning before you know when he got up. So, uh, so when you say uh, this is exercises to improve is, improve <laughs> his core strength. So away from yes, horses, yes, yep. and, and stretching exercises, yes. Pilates, you know that yep. sort of thing. Stick with a position, rider position. Absolutely, yep. constantly working on position every couple of strides. I suppose that's something I remember. We said every three strides, you're working on your position, mm-hmm. and so constantly dedication, improvement, not making excuses, getting the best out of the horse you're on. So instead of just upgrading every horse, which some of us can't do training the horse that you're on to give off the best. Like he's told the horse he won the gold medal on, he said was not a superstar, but just so well trained. Mm -hmm. Uh, The philosophies of the horse coming first, like he worked hard, but it was all about correctness and release of the pressure on, you know, rewarding the horse with the softer aids, Mm -hmm. releasing the pressure, you know, ask and then release. I I could go on for it. My image of him is just, this impeccable position, looking at the horse and saying that it's travelling correctly, working at that goal and the softening of the eyes, which I still think is, I think he's getting better, but there's still not, you don't see enough understanding of people understanding that the, the training comes for the release of the pressure, not asking of the pressure. Yes, yes, I, I think, think that's and, something. And that... he was on that so many years ago and mm, it, mm. I don't think I really understood it back then. Mm, mm. Something that Tom Roberts was very, um, very much about in his horse control in the bit. You know, it's the release. All, all, all the all yeah. the top people. There's, yeah. there's that theme that runs through all the top people, isn't mm, it? Mm, mm. It's just the same, same yep. theme. Yeah. Yep. All right. Now you're teaching a lot of eventing, show jumping. Tell me, what do you think the biggest mistake is at the moment? You know, people that you teach, not necessarily at any level, but just a common yeah. a common um, mistake that you look, see actually, that you're teaching. Probably, yeah, I'm probably teaching more dressage now. But when okay. I look at the jumping, 
the fact of the lack of education in the in the flat work and when I was jumping I made excuses why I wasn't doing the flat work that I should have been doing too. Yeah, basically lack of education in the jumping. It's there's not the flat work education that the Europeans are the people that are at the top of the world has got a very high level of flat education mm-hmm. and Australia doesn't. And also Australians also talk about and I don't think as much now, but the, their excuse was always, oh, we sell our good horses. But mm, mm. I don't think that's good enough excuse anymore. And I don't hear it as much anymore. But, yeah, basically the, um, yeah, the the definitely the show jump riders of, of the younger era have a less of a knowledge of the flat than the other disciplines. So when you say the flat, because, um, you know, there's a lot of flat work goes into jumping between the fences, they've still got to ride from point A to point yeah. B or jump one to jump two. Is it the line, the pace, the rhythm? What what specifically? The training of the horse, really, the yep. training of the horse and the way the horse travels. Okay. So yeah. travelling so in between the fences. It, yep. It, yeah, if the horse is travelling well, the line and the rhythm and all those things follow on from the training because mm-hmm. you can change your line, you can change your rhythm, you can adapt, adjust the horse if he's got the training. If he hasn't got the training, the horse is going to be a lot less adjustable in all those things. Mm-hmm. And training cross-country, the same? Is that following through with cross-country that you think there should be more flat work for to improve yeah, the cross-country? Yeah, de- definitely. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's also a lack of teaching in cross-country of the different types of fences. It seems to be quite a high level before the riders are really starting to think of riding particular types of fences in a different way. They, mm-hmm. you know, There's a definite lack of high-level cross-country teaching, which is being worked on at the moment with the change of the coaching. All right. Now, for, for our listeners, can you speak then about different approaches and different ways you should approach a couple of different fences? Oh, I could do two hours of this, so I'll try and... <laughs> be careful, some, we might ask you back some, again, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just things like, for instance, riding a, a drop fence mm-hmm. or riding a apex or, a, you know, an accuracy dump, talking about the straight approach, straight departure, that sort of thing, talking about how to sit on the way down to a fence on a hill, those sort of things. When when I said earlier on about I think that coaches need to be able to ride it to coach it, mm. I think cross-country is particularly one of those. Mm. I think some people have a very good eye, say, in the show jumping and not maybe have jumped it. I, 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 but at the end of the day, I still think you should have ridden it. But, but I think for t- something like cross-country, I think you, you do, it is important to feel what it's like to, say, canter down a hill to a quite vertical fence on the side of a hill. Mm. I mean, that's just something that I think you do need to feel it to coach it. But look, I'm getting into dangerous waters by saying particularly cross-country because I think every discipline has its own own um, little attributes and things that are going to make it special. But cross-country, yeah, it's probably the danger aspect mm-hmm. goes with it as well. So I think that at the, particularly at a lower level, sadly, you can, at a lower level cross-country, you could just basically can't around and jump every fence the same and yep. you'll get away with it because the fences are small enough that the horses can just jump it anyway. Yeah. But as it goes up the higher levels, it really needs to start identifying how do we jump a, an apex, how do we jump a 
water fence? How do we jump a drop fence? How do we jump a bounce? So they need those different things need to be trained a lot better, I believe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you're saying about the danger at a higher level, is that the higher speeds required? And um, as well as the higher fences, and more. for the speeds required and and the accuracy of the fences. So the so technical difficulty. The, level, be, yeah. the, tec the technicality, yeah. yeah. So if you haven't yeah. got the education of the horse and the knowledge of what you're actually how you're actually trying to ride it, it's um, yeah, can be a bit scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, now, if you and again, that's horse welfare. Hey, would you, sorry, would you say? Oh. Oh, sorry, I was going to say that's back to horse welfare as well. Yes. Yeah. 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 All right. So going forward, what does your future hold? My goal at the moment is to ride a Grand Prix dressage, mm -hmm. do do a Grand Prix test on my horse. I'm aware that it won't be a winning test. But limitations of me doing my first ever at that level, and also the horse hasn't got some of the talent of some of the horses around at the moment. But that's my goal is to train him to there. And, get that and that's not that too far away and then I've got two young horses to bring up and keep learning mm. so as I'm as I'm riding these levels I'm learning more and more and more and, and every time I learn I hope that I am someone that if I learn something on a day I can't wait to get out and try it on one of my pupils I'm not one of those ones that goes oh I'm not going to tell them because they might beat me I'm, I'm very keen when I learn something to come home and pass it on mm. Mm. So the more that I can learn, the more that I hope I can pass it on. All right. Now, just to sum up your philosophy into a lesson today for beginners, thinking about the everyday, my goal as a coach is to improve the life of at least one horse. What can people take from that? What can they do to help you achieve your goal? Not blame the horse when something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. Have a look at themselves. Yep. Not try and get a gadget to fix an inefficiency in their own selves or in their in their horses. Yep. Um, understand the strengths and weaknesses of both the combination. And I know if you're talking beginner, this is probably getting a little bit beyond a beginner. But beginners need to be aware that the horse comes first. Beginners need to be aware that the horse didn't get up in the morning hoping it was going to do four hours of pony club or whatever. Um, just, yeah, I suppose I'm, I'm pretty strong about that with with kids mm -hmm. in, in saying, you know, the horse comes first yep, and that's it. In, in the combination, whatever you decide to do today, the horse comes first. So if it's too hot or too cold or horse is lame or the saddle doesn't fit or whatever, mm -hmm. then you don't ride or, or, you know, think about the horse before yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something I desperately try to get through to beginners. And I also, when I'm teaching them to ride, I, no, make them very aware if they hang on by the reins that it's hurting the horse and it's not about the horse doesn't have the choice. Mm. You know, mm. you have the choice to improve your position. He doesn't have the choice to say, oh, I wish this person wouldn't ride me. <laughs> One of Tad Coffin's favourite quotes, mm. and, I, and I've got lots of quotes when you ask, was let your horse go home tonight and go back in the paddock and tell his mates how he loves my rider's hand. <laughs> And it, can I love that quote he did? And I say that to someone, does your horse love your hand? Mm. And this particularly comes to beginners because unless they're set down the right track, they obviously like to hang on by their hands or whatever. So that's another, you know, one of Tad's favourite ones, mm -hmm. which I really like too. So mm -hmm. 
I suppose, yeah, the answer probably wasn't great for a beginner, was it? But it's just, yeah, think about what you're doing to your horse and, and, uh, you know, what, yeah. But he comes first. At the end of the day, he comes first, and that's all there is to it. No, that's good. That's good. Sue, how can people contact you? I'm happy to for people to contact me, ring me direct or email or yeah, through the, through your Facebook whatever. page as well. Through Facebook, yep. fine. All yep. right. Look, we can leave those details up on horsechats.com on your page. So it'll be horsechats.com/slash Sue Leslie, and those yep. details will be available. All right, thanks very much, Sue. It's been great talking to you. Thank you, and you have a good day. You too. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 